Hi, this is Pastor Rick. Glad you're with me today on demand. I love it. The word of God in your hand. You can use it when you please. And so today we're going to talk about using what you have and the miraculous impact of doing that. So if you want to see a miracle in your life, don't wait to use what you don't have. Use what you do have. Watch God take what you have and transform it into something amazing. That's what I've done all my life. That's what I'm doing today. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. So stay there. Get ready to buckle up. We're going to see how Jesus did it so you can learn how to do it. I'll pray for you at the end, so stay right with me. Enjoy the message. Hey, this is Pastor Rick. Glad you're back. Today, we're going to take a journey continuing our series in Volume 1 here. We've got a Volume 2 coming next. Don't miss it. Volume 2 is cooler than Volume 1. No, it's not. Volume 1 and 2 are equally cool. And we're going to talk about miracles in both volumes. I decided that I wanted to talk about something that would be amazing something that would be um, just hard to ignore. The miraculous, the, the power of the miracles in, in Jesus' life and what they mean for us. And so the series is called The Miracles That Changed Everything. Jesus did a lot of things in the lives of people that left him speechless. Specifically today, I want to show you in John chapter 6, a story where he feeds thousands of people. And in feeding these 5,000 people, you're going to see how he engage this moment. And the exchange between his disciples are amazing. The entire chapter, especially the first 15 verses, are what I would call moments of inspiration. They're miraculous moments. And in these moments, we learn four, four, key, four key things, I want to say. And there are four key words that describe this miraculous moment that Jesus shows us in John chapter 6. The word, first of all, inspiration is going to stand out to you. You're going to see that he was inspired. He was inspiring. It was amazing. So it's a moment of great inspiration. Then secondly, you're going to see the word initiator. There's something that's going to happen because someone initiates it. The word impossible is going to stand out to you as well because he's facing an impossible moment. There's no way in the world this can happen. There's no way to fix this problem. You're trying to feed thousands of people and you don't have enough. And then the word investment is going to show up. And you're going to see the power of investment and how sometimes in life, the key to making an impossible thing happen is making the initial investment. If you don't make the initial investment, for example, in education and other things, you'll never get the benefit. It's the initial investment that brings about the reward. So Join with me, if you would please, go back to John, John chapter 6, verse 1, and it says these words. Sometimes after Jesus crossed uh, to the first far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, the Jewish Passover feast being near. I want you to first see this as an inspirational moment. I want you to see that this is a moment where Jesus does something that is inspirational. All these, he does a bunch of miracles. People are being healed. People are being cured of diseases that they couldn't be cured of. And so everybody's inspired. And let me just say this to you. If you really want to inspire people, you have to do something. You're not going to get anywhere in life if you don't do anything. It's about something manifesting in the life of the church, your home, your family, your community that inspires people. Um, 
I want to say this is kind of a sidebar thought. You got to be careful that you're not faking a miracle. Jesus didn't fake miracles. He didn't exaggerate miracles. I think sometimes in church, sometimes in, in our lives, we exaggerate to, quote, inspire people. The ministry of Jesus was so genuine, it was inspirational. It touched people in powerful ways. It made a huge, huge difference. If your life is ever going to really be impactful, there has to be a genuine moment of inspiration. That's what's happening here. Miracles on the left, miracles on the right. Then watch what happens. Something happens where the Bible said a great cloud of people followed him because they saw the miracles. And then when Jesus looked up and saw the crowd, verse, verse 5 says, coming toward him, he said to Philip, here's the question, where shall we buy bread for the people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I like the fact that this is a moment where he is, there's, you see initiation. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a question being posed to Philip to get him to think, <clears throat> what should we do? We see a problem. Give me, take some initiative, Philip. Give me a plan. I like that. Take some initiative. Take a minute. Pause there. Philip, think about it. Hmm. Got a problem. Got thousands of people. And they all need to eat. <clears throat> Where can we go? How about Walmart? Hmm. No Walmart yet. <clears throat> Piggly Wiggly. No, no Piggly Wiggly. Wouldn't have that in Jewish church, in Jewish culture anyway, Piggly Wiggly. Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> maybe we can go to Kroger. No, no Kroger's either. Well, not, not, what, what I want you to see, though, he's asking them to come up with a plan. You know, <clears throat> you, you, there, there is a push here that models something that really is important in the world. Somebody has to initiate the conversation, push the conversation. And Jesus does that. He initiates this. Then watch what happens. The Bible says, uh, verse or seven, Philip's conclusion, here's what he says. Philip answered, eight months wages, <clears throat> excuse me, would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. I've got a solution. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves, or you'd call them wafers, right? And two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? So this is one of those impossible moments. I remember I tell you the word impossible is in here. So you got a guy, you know, the people are inspired. It's an inspiring moment, right? Jesus is kind of initiating conversation. Come on, guys, what do you think we ought to do? And then notice what he's doing. He's trying to get them to decide. He's not deciding for them. He'd already, the Bible said, decided what he would do. He knew, but this wasn't about him doing what was in his mind. Jesus said, no, I want to see what you guys are thinking. I want you guys to use your brain. I want everybody around us to think. Now, here's, a, here's how this works. <clears throat> God does not fix things without your involvement. If you ever see a miracle happen, you will be involved in it in some way. And so here's this guy, right? He's got these two fish, right? And he got these little wafers. And somehow <laughs> that's supposed to be a solution. Well, first of all, that's impossible. 
But that's where God normally starts, with what's impossible, what cannot be changed, what cannot be fixed, what is, out of, what is, what is beyond your ability. See, then you know you're in a good place. That's why some of you should be happy because you're in an impossible circumstance. It's impossible. You don't know where you're going to get money from. You don't know, you don't know how you're going to go to school. You don't know any of that. But that's where God shows up. He's the God who moves, but you got to listen. Listen to the challenge. Notice he invites them into the challenge. Gentlemen, we've got a problem. The problem is we got thousands of people and we have no food and they're hungry. What should we do? Well, it would tell you, know, look, if you had eight look, months of wages, you couldn't fix this problem. You can, you can, there's nothing you can do. This is a mess, Jesus. I don't know what we can do. How about feeding them these fish? <laughs> That's a joke, right? Right? But watch what he does. He takes what they have. And he said, tell you what, let's start with that. Verse 10 is amazing. He said, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. That's just the men, now, not the children. So there's probably more people. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had had enough to eat, he says to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over those of those who had eaten. Think about that. Wow. So how did this happen? It's impossible. Well, it happened because they made this next step. They invested. They may tried. You know, it's interesting. You're praying for stuff, but you don't make any investments. You're asking God to do miraculous things in your relationship, but you're not making any investments. You're asking for God to multiply your money, but you're not making any investments. Part of what I believe is tied to the principles of giving in the scripture why I believe in tithing and why I believe in honoring God and giving. And that's not any legalistic thing, but I believe the whole principle of giving is designed to encourage you to have some skin in the game. You want God to be a one-way lover. You give, he gives you life, breath. You get to pray, get mad with him when he doesn't do what you want. And then you also can just hold on to everything you have. You don't have to give anything to him, to his work, to, to anybody else. You can just kind of live selfishly. And somehow God should love you so much, he should bless you anyway. You know, I always tell people this. What is, in, what is in it for God blessing you? What's in it? You make more money than you've ever made and you give less. I, I, I say this with my wife. This is one of my, my, my personal statements about my wife. What's in it for Diane? If, if Diane's life is not any better because of me, why is she with me? I'm not telling you to leave your man or your woman. Listen, look at me. Don't use what I just said to cause your marriage all, to be all broke up. I didn't say that. <laughs> Some of you, oh, yeah, I need that word right there. Watch it. I didn't say that. Here's what I said. I said what I say when I think about Diane. And you're saying, well, that's what I think you ought to say. That's a good thing. I hear you being sassy. I hear you. I hear you. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Hang with me now. Hang with me. The deal is I'm not trying to get you to jump ahead. I'm trying to get you to think about your personal investment. So you're thinking about what somebody's invested in you. You're missing the point. I want to know what you're investing in somebody else. And now you got your long list, right? I do this and I do that. And then they don't do this. They don't do that. That's not what we're talking about. 
The only person I want to talk about is you. Nobody else, just you. There's something about you deciding to make an investment that brings about blessing and miraculous growth. Jesus sat down, gave them the bread and the fish, and it multiplied. I only think about what I do for Diane. I don't really think about what she does for me because I realize the power in me making the investment. There's something that happens when I give without hope of return, and it's from my heart. I, I see that in my church. I, I've been pastoring for 40-plus years. I'm telling you, heading, heading to 41, and I've seen such love from my church in such an amazing way, and I really believe it's because of the commitment to invest in them without a hook. This is, a, this is the power of giving. That's what he's saying. Look at this. Look at, look at what happens when you give what you have, start with what you have, and watch how it multiplies. It's an amazing story. The Bible said in verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing their knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to mountains by himself. Notice the guy, the guys are so excited about Jesus, they want to make him king. All because he fed them. Fed them, you heard that? It's not a word, fed them. Let me say it right. There's a, there's a, there's a power in using what you have. Jesus didn't wait to get anything new. He used what he had. You know, one of the sad things about television and media and Hollywood is it convinces you a lot of times of what you don't have. You see people dance and sing and you admire it so bad, so much that you, you think you're nothing because you can't sing and dance like that. And that's not putting the people who sing and dance down. That's simply saying that's their gift. Learn how to em embrace what you have. Jesus made this happen by using what they had. And there are three lessons I want you to walk away with from this teaching. You ready? Number one. When we invest what we have, there is a possibility of a miraculous return. If you can start with what you have, there is a possibility of a miraculous return. If you're a C student, start with that. If you have $10, start with that. Do not dwell on what everybody else has. Do not be jealous of your sisters or your brothers or anybody else. Number two, I hope you learned that if you don't invest what you have, it's impossible to have a miraculous return. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith. Without faith. There, there's something about that idea of understanding that, yay, if I don't believe it's possible, if I don't believe and don't invest in what I have, if I don't do it, it's impossible. If I'm waiting for somebody else to do it, I'm waiting for somebody else to discover me. I never wait for people to discover me. I never wait for people to give me opportunity. I never wait. My mom taught me as a single, as a single child, single parent. She said, listen, nobody's going to help you. She used to tell me that all my life. She said, you have to help yourself. You can't wait on people. If, if you do have somebody that does help you, take advantage of it, embrace it, but understand the power of you taking initiative. She would always tell me, do not be a, a trifling man. Ooh, she used to say that with such power. I, I had to learn to get up and get it done and not be waiting for the crowd to come. Some of you are led by your friends. You're led by a guy, a woman. You're led by people. 
I, I don't even want, I don't even want my, I don't even want to leave my wife like that. I want Diane to have her own passion and initiative. I mean, she works with me. She's amazing. But I, I like the fact that she's self-driven. And then I don't need you to take that and bash your wife, by the way, please. Don't, don't take that. Because, you know, people take these sermons and, and I hope you heard that part. He's talking to you. Well, I hope you heard that part. He's talking to you. Could you just stop and talk to yourself for a moment? Just, just a moment. Man. Sometimes God's trying to talk to you and you're so busy hearing for someone else that you don't hear for yourself. If you don't invest what you have, it's impossible to have a miraculous return. You can't have a miraculous return if you don't invest. And here's the third and final one. Learn this. If we only, we can only see the impossible if we initiate the efforts with what we have. There's something about taking initiative and not just watching it happen. I love the fact that Jesus just took initiative. What do you think we ought to do, guys? Let's start thinking here. Let's get the wheels going. Income's going down. The factory's about to close. What are we going to do, people? What's your plan? What's your strategy? Right? Right? Kids growing up, going to have to retire. What's the plan? What's your strategy? Churches not, don't have the same attendance anymore. Okay, what's the strategy? We don't, we don't have the same people coming. You got to need some young people. What's the strategy? Here you are telling me what's changing. Kids are gone. I have nothing to do. What's your strategy? Sit around and wait for them to come back. What's your strategy? Your leg hurt. What's your strategy? You're going to sit down and look at it. You're hurting. Boy, that leg is hurting. Well, walk and move it. The doctor said, walk. Why don't you do it? Use what you have. Waiting for what? A guy, a woman, a love life? None of that. You're just going to make somebody else's life miserable because you're miserable. Miserable plus miserable equal two miserable people. There's something about you taking a hold of your life. The benefit of being an only child, being raised as an only child, is this. There's nobody else to rely on. It's just you. <laughs> so you learn. Get up. Try. Go. Do. Something that something miraculous can be unleashed in your life. Looking at the thousands of people sitting there hungry was not going to change anything. It was taking what they had and believing that God has a miraculous moment potential right now for me in this circumstance. Right now. You know, one of the, the sad things about miracle ministries and, and healing ministries in the past is the focus was more on the look at the man, work the miracles. He's the man of God, the woman of God. And so the focus was the man, the vessel, more than guiding people to an intimate relationship with the living God where he could work a miraculous thing in their life. And they don't normally need a public miracle they just need a private touch of God on their life and circumstance. The greatest miracle here is that Jesus drew people to God. That's what they said. They, he, was, he was drawing people to God, showing them if you come closer to God, he can do miraculous things in your life. And so people who needed a miracle and people who didn't need a miracle came. Some people that were well followed the people that were sick and saw what God did in their life. And because God healed them, they said, well, I need to serve that God, too, even though I'm not sick. Everybody in the church isn't sick. Everybody in the church isn't broke. Everybody in the church is not lost. Everybody around you is not in some dire need. But when they see God work in your life, 
They want to invite him into their life. And that moment of inviting God into their life will prepare them down the road when they need a miracle. They'll have God tucked away in their heart and life. They'll have his word buried in their soul. They'll know what to do when pressure comes. You see, the greatest miracle in my life is I've been prepared for the difficulties of life. I didn't need God to grow an arm. I didn't need God to grow a leg. I didn't need God to raise me from the dead. I haven't had that problem yet. I just needed peace of mind. The greatest miracle in my life is I have a peace of mind. I'm not worried. I'm not tired today. I'm not burnt out today. That's a miracle when I look around me. And for some of you, that's the only miracle you need. Let him come into your life today and bring that presence of God in your life that would allow you to have the miracle, the miracle you need. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those today who've heard this message. Some of them say, I don't have all that I need, but that's okay to have you, Lord. Let them start with where they are. And I pray this would give healing and strength and grace. I thank you for this entire series this month. I thank you for the power of the miraculous potential we all have. And I pray that as we continue in our study, that you will continue to bless and give us wisdom and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Lord, I also pray for those who don't know your Savior. May this be the moment they pray this prayer. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Come into my heart, be the Lord of my life. May this be the day of transformation for me. And may they open their hearts to a brand new beginning, trusting you in new ways for a new life. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I pray that message grabbed you. I pray it pulled you in and you got the message. If you only have some fish and wafers to work with, use what you have. Stop trying to get what you don't have because you don't have it. And sometimes you can't get it, but you can start with your handsomeness, okay? Your looks, your strength, your muscles. You may can't lift all, lift all the weights, but you can lift something. Do what you can with what you have and watch God use it. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those today who are in a moment when they're trying to decide what to do. May they learn to use what they have, not what their friends have, not what their neighbors have, but what they have. You took what they had, they gave it to you, and you blessed it and multiplied it, and it became more than they could ever imagine. That's how life works when we follow you. So you said if we sow to the Spirit, we reap life everlasting. And so God, today I declare that we will come to you and give you a chance in our life. That's what sowing to the Spirit means. Surrendering my life to the Holy Spirit's guidance, to God's guidance and allowing him to show me a better way. And not yielding to my old self, not yielding to my own desires and fleshly passions that could be wrong, but learning how to yield to you. So I come thanking you today for those who've engaged this sermon with me today. May it bless them and strengthen their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with me today. It's been fun. I'll see you next time. I got more to say. Hey, listen, the Miracle Series continues. There is a volume two, so you stay with me. I've got a lot more to talk about. See you next time.